And that's great. I mean, it makes sense. We, we, all, we all just came from a lot of gatherings, some of us with family, some of us with friends. Um, and so we are going to kind of take a look head on at our spiritual family. And this is the fourth and, and final installment of our Ready for War series, which kind of tags on to the spiritual warfare paragraph that Paul has just been digging into. And we looked at our spiritual strength. We looked at our spiritual armor. Uh, last week, we looked at our spiritual communication. And this week is our spiritual family. And so we, we began to see last week that Paul doesn't mean for this to just be a, if you guys are video game people, a first-person shooter. Like it's, it's not just you and the computer. This is a co-op thing. We are doing this war, this battle, together. And he, he went into that in verse 18 when he said, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This, all those saints, all these saints are the spiritual family that God has provided for you to do this thing. We're doing this together. We're in this war together as a family. And so, yeah, a lot of us, you know, spent Thanksgiving with family. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a reason why <laughs> leading up to Thanksgiving, leading up to Christmas, there's all these like NPR uh, segments about how to handle family gatherings or how to navigate the conversation at the dinner table. You know, family relationships are relationships you don't choose, right? You don't get to decide who your siblings are, who your parents are, who your cousins are, who your aunts and uncles are, or who they become or the, over the course of their lifetime. Family can be a challenge. And I'm sure a lot of us relearned that lesson over the last couple of years with COVID. COVID split families wide open as far as different takes on this, different takes on that. Oh, I got to cut you out. You're toxic. Oh, I got to cancel you. Wow. You know, and, and a lot of us who, who thought we had the perfect family found, found that art the hard way. That, wow, even my family can be a challenge here. But it's the same with our spiritual family. I'm not saying it's hard to be with you guys. What I'm saying is we don't get to choose our spiritual family. We don't choose. God does. We, we are adopted into a new family that we did not choose. And just like all relationships, the key to a healthy family relationship is what? Communication, right? Communication. <laughs> Communication is to relationships like location is to real estate. Location, location, location. No, communication. If you, if you take a, a basic relationship 101 class in college, that's the first thing you learn, communication. If you take pre-marriage class, communication. How do we talk? How do we, we relate to one another? And Paul here, in these last four verses of this letter to the Ephesian church, He's taking care of some family business. And it would be easy for us to skim over this passage and dismiss it as having nothing to do with us. That would 
But that would be a mistake. But it would be easy to do. The, the moment you encounter a, a name like Tychicus, you tend to turn off your listening ear. You're like, oh, Tychicus, never mind. I'm going to move on to the next book, right? But that would be a mistake. And the reason why is because a passage like this one, where Paul is sort of cleaning house, doing some family business, doing his little PS thing, this is a unique opportunity for us to almost be a fly on the wall of how the Apostle Paul communicates with his spiritual family. These are people he interacted with, people he knew, people he had personal relationship with. And so in this passage, what we learn is how Paul communicates with them, how he talks to them, how he talks about them, and also how he invokes and speaks God's blessing over them. So it turns out that this final passage is really a primer on how to be a spiritual family. And so let's, let's go ahead and read it, and we'll pray, and we'll dive in. All right, starting in verse 21 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Dear Father, I, I pray that you would just, uh, by your Holy Spirit, speak your word to our hearts. Lord, um, whatever distractions, whatever things that we are carrying uh, worrying about, thinking about right now. I pray that you just let those take a pause, Lord, and help, help us to be attentive to what you want to speak to us. Lord, thank you that your word is powerful. And so we just invite it uh, to do the heavy lifting with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just um, shave away what, what, what needs to be shaved away and, and um, speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Paul, the, the gist of this section, you know, this is a pretty typical section of Paul as well as ancient letter writing. You know, it's sort of a last, last things, you know, before I say bye. Um, you know, Paul, he's in prison right now as he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome. And so he's, he's concluding his letter to this church. And since, you know, he can't just hit the send button, he has to fold it up, put it in an envelope, and hand it to somebody to carry it for him. And the person he hands it to is a dearly loved brother named Tychicus. And it so happens that this guy Tychicus uh, also carried the letter to the Colossian church. And if you look at Colossians, there's, there's like five or six straight verses where it seems to be Paul saying the same thing. But it's because he wrote the letters at the same time and had similar things to say to, his, to two different groups of people. And so he hands these letters to Tychicus, who goes, thanks, Paul. I'll see you later. And he takes these letters to this church. And so he says, all right, Tychicus is, gonna, is going to uh, come to you. He's going to bring the letter, and he's going to update you on me. He's going to update this church on Paul and all that's going on with Paul. 
as well as offer them comfort and encouragement himself. Basically, he's going to stick around for a while and, and just be with this Ephesian church and, and be there and, and encourage them and do what he can to help. But he also signs off invoking a benediction over them. And this benediction in verses 23 and 24 basically walk through several of the major themes of the letter. You know, peace, love, faith, and grace. You know, all of which, as it, as it clearly indicates from this benediction, all of which are clearly gifts from God. You know, peace and love from God. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he signs off this letter. Basically, he signs off in a way that we can learn from. All right, so, so what can we learn from this, this concluding paragraph of Paul's? Well, first we can learn about his communication with his own spiritual family. You know, and so we can learn about how to communicate with our spiritual family. Uh, how do we talk to one another? You know, these are pretty basic things to reflect on, but, but clearly they were important to Paul. And, you know, we're a, relatively speaking, small church. And the cool thing about a small church is it's ripe for deep relationships. You know, I used to work uh, over at uh, the Poly Clinic at a really small uh, cancer chemotherapy infusion unit. We only had like five nurses. You know, I sat on the same desk every day next to the same nurses on my right and my left. And what I realized in working in such a small uh, team environment is there's a, there's a lot of relational depth that can happen. Um, and... On the flip side, there's a lot of tension that can happen because depth of relationship and opportunity for tension go hand in hand, right? You don't, there's no tension really with someone you only see every few months or every few even days. But with someone you're with day in, day out, the opportunity for tension, for conflict, for issues, it goes way up. And so when I moved from a small unit to a, a bigger uh, unit with like 60 nurses, I never knew who I was going to work with on a given day, the relational depth went way down. But the opportunity for tension, you know, also went down, which was nice. But there's pros and cons, right? And in a small church like ours, it's, it's different than a, a 500, 1,000, you know, four, 5,000 person church where, where the the need and the, um, if you, basically, if you want relational depth, you really have to try, you know, in a, in a big church. But in a small church, you almost have to try not to have relational depth. It, it, you, you, like, I can name pretty much, probably 90% of you guys, but in a, in a big 500,000 person church, I, you, the pastor, no way they're going to even meet everyone, necessarily. And so, it's good for us as a small community to Reflect on how we can learn to communicate with one another. And we can take some cues from Paul here. All right, in verses 21 and 22, you know, he says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he'll tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So what... What do we see here, Paul? You know, how is he communicating with his spiritual family here? 
Well, two things that came out to me is that he communicates with both openness as well as edification. And that's a fancy word we'll, we'll, we'll look at second. But he, he communicates with openness. You know, he says, I want you to know how I am and what I am doing. He will tell you everything that you may know how we are. You know, he, Paul isn't just writing from an ivory tower, delivering, you know, top-down teaching. You know, he, he lets his hair down with these people. You know, he, there's no power dynamic inhibiting his desire to both know them and be known by them. And that's beautiful. And Paul's an apostle. You know, he's one of the, one of the, the original apostles of Jesus Christ, sent to, to create and start the church. You know, but, but he wants to be known. He wants, he wants people in. He wants to let people in. And it's kind of funny because this is like almost a throwaway passage. But honestly, it's like been one of the most convicting passages for me personally. And, you know, I've been convicted by it, I think because, you know, it's been two months since Justin left. I stepped into this role and I want to make sure and do so in a way that does not communicate to any of you that I don't want to know you or be known by you. And obviously, we can't all be best friends with all of us, right? But, but being, um, yeah, just being willing to kind of open the door of our lives to one another. And Paul here, he wants to share his life with them. He wants to be open with them. And we can be real with each other. We're we're going to spend eternity together after all, right? You know, we, we tell our daughters, okay, Ella, who's your best friend? Yep, Thea's your best friend. Thea, who's your best friend? Ella, yes. You're going to spend the rest of your lives as siblings. You don't get another chance at this. You're best friends, okay? <laughs> and obviously, we're not all going to be best friends. But there is this reality that we are going to be with Jesus together. So we might as well get started practicing now at being real. And so Paul gives us a good example. So he, he communicates to them with openness, but also with edification. You know, and he, this comes across when he says, uh, he sends this beloved brother, Tychicus, that he may encourage your hearts or comfort your hearts, build up your hearts. You know, the goal here is to build up one another's faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in our honesty, in our vulnerability, in our openness with one another, our ultimate goal, whatever the season, whether it's a dark season, a difficult season, or it's a season of abundance and joy and, and like, wow, God is doing a lot. Our ultimate goal as a spiritual family is to build up one another's faith. Like, that's the point. That's the point. And how do we do that? You know, we're, we're to build up each other in our faith, in our devotion, in our trust, in our passion for Jesus. Uh, the author to the Hebrew, or the, of the book of Hebrews writes, he says, uh, they say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, 
as you see the day drawing near. This is capital D day, as in the, the day that Jesus comes back and consummates his kingdom. We are to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. And that's part of our job. We're, we're not a social club. We're not even a social club that goes deep, right? We're, we are a church. We are a local expression of the body of Jesus Christ. You know, he is our head, as Paul mentioned just a chapter ago, and we are the body. All of us different members of the body. You know, I have a head and I have a body. All of, all of you have a head and a body, and all the different parts of the body work differently, but they work together. And the point is to point to the head, to do what the head says, to be directed and steered by the head. And so our goal in our relationships, our communication, how we talk to one another, is to build that faith up in one another. You know, it's, it's not to tear that faith down, not to distract from it, but to point each other to Jesus. That's the point. So he communicates with openness and he communicates with edification, building the faith up of his spiritual family. So that's, that's sort of how he communicates to his spiritual family. But what about his communication about his spiritual family? You know, he, he's talking about this guy Tychicus, right? He, and, he, and he talks about him. He, he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he'll tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how, know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And I love this because, you know, it's one thing to reflect on how we might communicate with each other face to face, right? But what about how we talk about each other when the other is not around? You know, how, how do we talk about one another not to our face? Really, that says a lot more about the health of any relationship, right? Is, is how someone talks about their family member, about their friend, about their coworker. Like how many of us have been hurt much more deeply by what someone said about us than what someone said to our face, right? So the way we talk about our friends, about our family, about our spiritual family says much more about how we feel about each other than what we say or are willing to say to one another's face. And, you know, if you're not a Christian today, if you don't place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, um, your perception of this church's love for one another, Jesus says your perception of that is the litmus test for how well we are doing in this. Not numbers, not, you know, numbers of baptisms, not flashy building projects or any other sign of successful ministry. You know, Jesus says, they, as in those who are not Christians, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So I want to invite you. Let me know. Let us know how we're doing in that category. If you're observing this community and it's one of love and grace and, and laying ourselves down for one another. That's a good sign. If, there, if it's one of backbiting and gossip and unforgiveness and things like that, that's not a good sign. Because we, in our love for one another, are called to display Jesus' love. And that's a sign of, of success. That's sort of a litmus test for how well we're doing as a spiritual family. 
So how does Paul speak about his spiritual family? You know, he's, he speaks about this guy, Tychicus, which, you know, just never gets old, saying that name. Um, if we have a fourth kid, Tychicus. Um, no, probably not. Um, he speaks about him with both tenderness as well as collaboration and trust. So he, he speaks about him with tenderness and with collaboration and trust. How does he speak about him? He, he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. You know, these are, are two different things, but they go hand in hand. You know, he speaks about him as a beloved brother. Is it because of all the things he's done? No, it's because Paul knows him. He knows him. He loves him. This is a, the, the word is dearly loved. He's a dearly loved brother, sibling in the Lord. But he's also a faithful minister. He, he does well with what's been entrusted to him in, in the ministry, in, in the co-working that they're doing together. So he knows the heart of this person as well as this person's faithfulness. You know, he comments on his value both as a person beyond just his usefulness for ministry. He wasn't just useful to Paul. He was known by Paul. And, you know, what I would ask ourselves is, you know, when someone we do church with comes up in a conversation, how do we speak about them? Do you have their back? What, what do we do when someone starts gossiping at you, right? That's not always an easy <laughs> place to be when, when someone starts saying things negative about someone else to you, you're sort of like, uh, what do I do right now? You know, you have a choice. And um, a little trick, my, my old nursing boss, she's not even a Christian, but she taught me this, and it was, it was great. You know, when, when someone starts gossiping at you about someone else, you know, at the end of whatever sentence or paragraph or whatever is being said, you know, always just say, have you talked to them about that? You should probably talk to them about that. It's a, it's a really easy comeback, and it, and it doesn't kind of shame the person. It just sort of invites them to go to this person directly, and I love that. And, and you know, in all this talk about talking, you can get a little meta, but, um, and see, I just lost my train of thought because of that. Um, and I'm not talking about sweeping things under the rug, right? We're not, we're not talking about being disingenuous or, or not addressing real issues, Right? But we can do so with openness. We can do so with grace. We can do so knowing that we have the resources through Jesus Christ to forgive. And it's, that's part of the benefits of being in this spiritual family, is we have those resources. <clears throat> um, yeah, and so, da, 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 great, done with that. Okay, so talk about them with tenderness. He talks about Tychicus with tenderness, but he also talks about him with, with um, collaboration. You know, this isn't just someone um, Paul's just talking about and he doesn't really know uh, or partner with them and trust them. You know, he says in verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. You know, Paul you know, contrary to maybe sometimes what we might think of Paul, he's a collaborator. You know, he's not a lone ranger, 
you know, just bad A apostle dude just like going out on his own. No, he constantly surrounded himself with people that he trusted, that he partnered with, that he entrusted jobs and and ministry and tasks and, and things like this to them. And he trusted that God could and would use other believers just as much as himself. You know, and a lot of this, like I said, this passage convicted me. Um, so if you're like, yeah, yeah, great, whatever, um, awesome. Um, but this is something that has been really convicting to me. It's like, none of us are in this alone, right? We are in this together. And, and I love our church in that way because it's so obvious. Like, you look around this room at the decoration. I didn't do any of that, <laughs> right? And every aspect of this church, from uh, home groups to kids ministry to worship ministry to, to deacons to, to everything that happens here, even the service hosting that happens with the benediction and the psalms and the hospitality, all of that is done because of collaboration with the body. And I'm just constantly blown away by that. And it's And it's beautiful because what it shows is that you guys are not just being faithful ministers in your context, as in your your personal families, your your jobs, your vocations, and things like that, but but partnering and collaborating in what we're doing here. And that is one of the biggest reasons that this church is amazing to me, is the, the kind of, we all pitch in. And we're all part of this family. And Paul, Paul says, yeah, keep going. I do that, <laughs> right? And so we can just press into that even more. Um, you know, the people up here aren't the only ones doing ministry. You know, the ministry is for all of us. And one of my jobs, as it says in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for ministry. Not to have you guys um, acknowledge the ministry I'm doing. No. It's my job is to expound the word of God because the word of God is what trains and, and, and prepares you for the work that you get to do, for the work that God calls you into. And that's the word of God is the thing that does the heavy lifting there. So Paul speaks to his family, both in openness and edification. He speaks about his family in tenderness and collaboration. So then he kind of switches gears to, to kind of close things off. And he does so by praying over his spiritual family, invoking a benediction, a a blessing over his spiritual family. In verses 23 and 24, let's reread those. He says, Peace be to the brothers and sisters. I'll explain that in a minute. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Paul concludes his letter here just very much like he started it. You know, if, if you go ahead and flip a couple pages back in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus in our, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul opens with an intro greeting and benediction, and he closes with an outro greeting and benediction. And this, 
this word benediction basically just means blessing. And so he's, he doesn't say, I pray that you would have peace. No, no. He just says, peace be to you. And then later, grace be. He, he sort of speaks it as if it were true because it is true. You know, in speaking these benedictions over this church, Paul, what he does is he borrows authority from God to pronounce these things over this congregation. Paul speaks it, but God sponsors it. You know, this tidbit of truth is brought to you by our sponsor today, God. He backs it up. That's what a benediction is. It's, it's a speaking of the truth of God over another brother or sister or group of believers, knowing full well that God is the one who backs this up. And this is why we conclude each of our services with, with a benediction found all throughout Scripture. But we can do this in our relationships as well. And we, we, we should. Because the beautiful thing about speaking God's uh, words over one another is it's exactly what Paul has just said a couple of verses ago when he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You know, bas basically speaking a benediction over another brother or sister is using the sword of the Spirit, especially during a time of, of difficulty, especially during a time of, of um, like when someone's in just a dark cloud season, whether that, that's lasted just a couple days or, or months or even years. You know, sometimes it's the Word of God that actually just penetrates and clears the fog. You know, I've experienced that personally. Is, you know, when sometimes you just get in a rut, and it's the enemy, right? He's, he's attacking. He's, he's putting dark thoughts in your head. Thoughts about either yourself or about God or about others. And it's the word of God that has such power to clear that away. And it has such power in the mouth of your brother or sister. Because you know, you know them. You, you, you're family with them. And so it's not just a stranger speaking God's words over you. It's, it's your own family. And so we can and should do that, and we can do that even more. So he, he speaks benediction over them, and then he walks through the basic truth that he's already explained for the whole letter over them. You know, he prays over them exactly what he just finished writing to them about. You know, it wasn't just enough for him to teach them about peace, about love, about faith, about grace. Now he speaks it over them. And it's the truth about God, and it's the truth about themselves. Let's walk through each one. He starts with peace. You know, Paul has mentioned and does mention peace eight times in the letter to the Ephesians. What is this peace? You know, what is this peace that he's, he's pronouncing over this congregation? This is the peace that God has wrought between God and humanity, as well as between humanity and humanity. That the peace that Jesus himself purchased when he experienced hostility, he killed hostility. And because of what was done to his body, he pronounced peace between our body. 
as it says in chapter 2, for he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. He is what we can found and place our foundation of peace on. Um, And then Paul encourages them to, to seek to maintain that peace. You know, he doesn't say, hey, create peace between yourselves. No, no, no. Jesus created peace. Now you need to maintain it. And so he pronounces this peace over them. And then he says, and love. You know, he talks about love 10 times in this letter. You know, this is the the sacrificial, the Greek word is agape, the sacrificial love of Christ that Paul prays we would have the strength not just to know, like, like in our heads, like, oh yeah, I know that Jesus loves me. No, he, he goes to great lengths to get on his knees and pray desperately. And what it says is that we would have the strength to comprehend this love. It's breadth, it's length, it's height, it's depth, the love of God. He says, you need strength and power just to comprehend how much God loves you. And so he, he pronounces that love over them. And it's the love that God drew from when he rescued us from being dead and, and raised us up with Christ. It says in chapter 1 that in love, he predestined us for adoption into this family. So he says, peace and love, and then he says, with faith. So faith, he speaks about faith eight times in this letter. And this is, like we talked about a few weeks ago, with the shield of faith. This is the the stubborn trust in God that refuses to walk away from God, come what may. This is the faith of someone who knows their need for God and believes that God himself is the one and only need meter of our souls. He's the only one who can fill that void. You know, he's the only one who can scratch that itch. He's the only one who can fulfill your deepest longing. He's the only one. Faith is the way that we access him. It's just a simple yet stubborn trust. It's a a knowing that you need him and knowing that he's he's the only thing worth putting that that even fledgling faith, that meager faith. Like Jesus said, faith that's the size of a mustard seed. As long as you put it in the right place, you're good. So peace, love with faith, and finally grace. Grace be with all. And this is the one he speaks about the most in Ephesians, 12 times. The most famous being one of my favorite passages of all time in the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the unmerited favor of God bestowed upon us. Paul writes immediately, right right away in chapter 1, he writes, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. You can't really find a more over-the-top word than lavish. Right? 
I love my wife. I love my kids. I don't, I don't, I need to like start thinking, how can I lavish love on them? Like, that would be hard to do, to feel like you really lavished love on someone, right? That would take a lot of intention and effort. But that's what God has done with us. He has lavished on us the riches of his grace. And he says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now that's an interesting little little add-on there. Love incorruptible. What in the world does that mean? And I will tell you that you're in good company because we don't really know. (laughs) There's guesses. The word there is, yes, incorruptible, but also imperishable. You know, he uses that word in 1 Corinthians when he talks about how the immortal body that we have now is going to put on immortality. We're going to put on an imperishable body. And so it also means immortality. Um, So commentators are a little bit scratching their heads on what this word means here and what it's where it should be. You know, some, some think it should say grace and immortality be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how kind of vast the, the interpretations are. But let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Paul isn't adding on this word incorruptible to say, um, that's just a caveat to say, uh, all of the promises in Ephesians are for you if you have an incorruptible love for Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying we have divine power to walk this Christian life until that day. You know, he's saying that this grace, this peace, this love will last as long as it needs to. It will last until when when the the finite existence that we have now, which has a a start and an end date, you know, your body has an expiration date, we're all going to (laughs) die. But the promises of Jesus go beyond that. It, it goes beyond death. It goes beyond mortality. It goes beyond illness. It goes beyond everything bad that you can think of right now. Fat, you know, zoom out. We have eternity. We have eternity with God. That's kind of his final note. Immortality, eternity, imperishability. That is part of the hope that we have. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, not to be killed or or die again, but a body that will never die. That same Holy Spirit is going to raise your body up if you entrust yourself to Jesus. It's going to raise your body up in the same way. An immortal body. That's part of the hope that we have. And this is a good reminder that each of these the peace, the love, the faith, the grace, each of these is a gift from God. Even faith. You know, we think of faith as kind of, you know, our part of the bargain, right? We have a little faith and God gives us peace, love, grace, joy, everything. But we saw a couple of weeks ago that even the shield of faith is part of the armor of God, right? Even our faith is a gift from him. He's the one who helps us cling desperately to him. So Paul speaks over them the truth 
of whose they are. They are standing in faith, receiving God's grace and who they are. You know, they now can be a community that's full of love for one another and peace between one another because they've corporately and individually received this love and peace from him. So in conclusion, we, as a small church in Capitol Hill, Seattle, we can do the same. You know, our, our communication with one another, to one another, our communication about one another, as well as our ability to communicate God's love for one another, over one another, to speak God's words over one another. And that's how Paul concludes his letter, and it gives us a great example to follow. You know, a verse that, that jumped out at me a couple weeks ago was Romans 12, 13. You know, Paul is in the middle of kind of chapters 1 through 11, just, just really getting at the grace of God and what Jesus has done. And then starting in chapter 12, he says, therefore, here's what you do about it. And in verse 13 of that chapter, he says something very short and sweet. He just says, let love be genuine. And another translation I read says, let love be without hypocrisy. And, you know, that word hypocrisy, that, that's kind of a common parlance now, but it wasn't back then. And it had to do with actors, you know, who would put on a, a mask, depending on the scene, depending on the play, depending on, you know, what their character was. And, you know, Jesus said, don't do that. Don't put on a mask. Don't pretend. And I think a lot of times, you know, I can fall into the trap of, of putting on my foyer face, which is, you know, church foyer. Your church face. Like, how are things going? Great. Yeah. You know. And <laughs> all that does is... is it makes me miss out on being able to be real with my family. Like, what's the point? What's the point in putting on foyer face? What's the point in putting on a mask? It says, let love be genuine, as in, be real. Be real with one another. And, you know, that being real with people involves trust, right? Do we trust one another enough to let our hair down with each other? Do we trust one another enough to let our love be genuine without a mask? We definitely can do it because it's a gift. This love is a gift from God. We can just go, okay, I'll take that. This love that we need for one another is a gift from God and we continue and can continue to grow into it. And if you're not a believer today, if you're not a, a person who knows that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Savior has been provided, his name's Jesus Christ, ask yourself, you know, are the goals that I'm pursuing, the relationships I'm embracing, the things I'm finding hope and security in, are they scratching that itch? Are they filling that void? If not, you know, don't take it as a sign of failure. Take it as a sign that you're a person in need. You're in good company. Take it as an opportunity to ask a deeper question. What if, what if there's a God who loved me so much that he took on all of what I deserve so that I could be rescued, that I could be freed, 
that I could be released to be my full potential. Not for my own glory, not for my own notoriety, but to reflect the goodness of the one who made me. The goodness of the one who redeemed me, who rescued me, who took all of that on himself for my sake. So I invite you, if you're that person and you want to entrust your life to him today, I invite you to do that. And I'll, I'll pray with you to do that in just a minute. But I want to, sort of as a final uh, collective act of finishing this book, you know, of concluding this letter of Paul to the Ephesians, I want to invite us to offer Paul's same benediction that he offers to God. Because, you know, he starts off with, with a benediction over them. He ends with a benediction over them. But the first paragraph after his introduction in, in chapter 1, Paul just like lets out this beautiful, profound, robust, thorough praise of God. And then he kind of dives into the meat of the letter. But as our kind of final uh, looking at this, this letter together. I want us to, to do that, to offer that benediction together. So go ahead and turn there to chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 3. We're just going to read it, and we're going to read it as if we are offering the same benediction to God as Paul is, okay? All right, so it's chapter 1, starting in verse 3. All right, he says, let's go. Let's do this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, Let's go through verse 14. <clears throat> in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Okay, as we conclude, I'd like to read Paul's benediction now over you here in this final couple verses. Pete, oh, I didn't explain this. So brothers there, it's just a word for siblings, especially in this context. Brothers and sisters in the family of God. So that's what I'm going to say. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Let's pray.